Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you on this Sunday morning, and I will tell you as we begin a word of thanks. Um, Many of you will know my uh, father-in-law passed away just several days ago. We had his service, and uh, it was good for Cheryl and I to be on the receiving end of ministry and to be reminded of the power of being part of a family of faith and uh, the power of being loved on and prayed for and the power of a meal, the power of flowers, the power of a text, the power of uh, kind words and encouragement. And I'm so thankful for that. And I thank you for that and uh, for that ministry. I'm glad to be part of a local church and I'm glad to be part of this local church. I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to John 14, verses 15 through 23. John 14, verses 15 through 23. For several Sundays now, we've been dwelling on and soaking in one passage of Scripture. And that is that one, this is that one passage of Scripture. Uh, So if you have your Bible, I want you to join me there as we finish our study this morning Jesus speaking to his disciples says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's kind of a why question, really. Why would you do it this way? And Jesus answers him, listen, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him the ability to manifest, to see, to know uh, God and uh, to fellowship with him is rooted and grounded in loving him and keeping his word. So once more, let's, let's look at the context and, uh, and then unpack one final reality here. Jesus has announced his impending departure. He says to his disciples in 1333, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they are, 14.1 says, deeply troubled by this because they are 
they've been so greatly changed because they have been so greatly helped by Jesus, by the way he has befriended them and loved them and given them a place and given them a purpose in his mission in a broken world. These disciples don't want to hear it. They want nothing to do with this announcement. They want nothing to do with this word that somehow Jesus is no longer going to be with them. They, they feel like they're losing him. And Jesus says to them, you're not going to lose me. While I'm physically leaving you, yes, one day I will physically return for you. We were just singing about that a, a moment ago. There will be a day when Jesus physically will return for his people in the same way that physically he departed on the day that he ascended. But in the meantime, he tells them, look at 1412, that they will do what he's been doing, will do these things even to a greater extent than he has done them. And he promises these ordinary people an extraordinary life. And then he shows them how that is possible. And he says, extraordinary lives, he shows them that extraordinary lives are made possible as his power verses 13 and 14, works in answer to their prayers and as his living, ongoing presence is given to them with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, whom he calls another helper in the original paraclete, the ally, another ally, another advocate, another friend who will do for the disciples what the uh, Lord Jesus himself did. And because this divine helper will come to them and live in them, verse 18, it will not be said that Jesus left his disciples as orphans. No believer will be able to say, he abandoned me. The spirit, Jesus shows us, will come. He will stay and he will never leave. He will work in believers. He will work around believers and he will work on believers as they live out their lives and serve the cause of Christ. And so here's what we've learned. The Spirit of God is, is a person. He is not a power. He is not an energy, but a person. And he plays an incredibly important role in making ordinary people extraordinary and making ordinary churches extraordinary because of the impact he has on them and the impact they then have on others for eternity. But there's one thing more that Jesus points to, and that is this, how the help of the Holy Spirit is actually accessed and experienced fully in this life. Jesus makes clear that the Holy Spirit and his personal ministry is a gift to those who believe. Verse 16, coming from God the Father at the request of God the Son. Now, as with every gift, any gift, to make the most of it, the receiver's got to do three things. You've got to trust the giver, you've got to receive the gift, and you've got then to turn around and use the gift. You've got to trust the giver, you've got to receive the gift, and you've got to use the gift. Uh, years ago, I'd, I'd done a funeral and, and the family gave me a card and in the card, there was a gift card to Red Lobster. Well, I'm telling you with a young family, uh, a $50, $50 gift card to Red Lobster is, is a good thing, but you'd rather have $50 for shoes or something else. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I did, the I did the funeral, they gave me a nice card and they put a $50 Red Lobster card in there. And, and I was thankful for that. I was grateful for that. And I remember I had it all planned out. I, I had a Friday picked out where on that Friday I was gonna, I was gonna um, 
go that evening and, and buy a good meal for my family from Red Lobster. And, uh, and I, I worked it all out. Uh, I, we, I worked it out to, so it was like $48 and 57 cents. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Just, you know, write down cause it was $50 gift card. So I walked in there and I, and I, and I called it in and, and I came and I gave my name and they brought the meal out and they said, you know, it's $48 and whatever, 57 cents. And I handed them that card and, and stood there ready to go, ready to move, ready to go, ready to move. And the woman looked at me and said, sir, I said, yes. She said, there's only $12.87 on this card. I said, could you, could you like check that again? I mean, just, could you just look one more time and see? I mean, just, would you just look? She ran it again. She said, sir, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's, $12.87. Well, I was in a pickle. I had $48.57 worth of food and only $12.87 on my card. So I had to pull out the debit card and handle the rest. And I've got to tell you, I did not have the best attitude going out of Red Lobster. I mean, you know, those, what are those biscuits? They're like so good. See, you know, cheese biscuits and they got other things in it. You know, you shouldn't, yeah eat many of them, but you do. I mean, even that didn't help me feel better. It did not help me. But you, did you see what I had done? I had trusted the giver that $50 meant $50. I had received a gift and I had, well, I tried to use the gift. It didn't, didn't really fully, completely succeed. But in the very same way, these three things must be done according to this passage to fully experience the presence and the help of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've got to trust the giver. We've got to receive the gift. And then we've got of, of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And then we've got to use that ministry in our lives. And as we soak one more time in this passage, I want to walk us through this because this is so very, very important. I've said to you, I'll say it again. For so many believers, the Holy Spirit is an acquaintance and not someone we know and rest in and trust in intimately and deeply. And as a consequence of that, we're missing out on so much that God has for us as we live out our lives here. First, notice with me, to experience the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we've got to trust the giver. Now, notice that Jesus' assumption throughout the passage is that the disciples do love him and do trust him and therefore will obey him. That's why he links love and obedience in 15, 21, and 23. It is because they love him and because they trust him that the disciples have a personal relationship with him. That's why also Jesus goes on and prays and asks the Father to give them, verse 16, the second helper who will be with them forever. But the application for us here is this, to have, to experience, to enjoy the help of God, we have to have two helpers. We have to have the son's help and we have to have the spirit's help. We've got to receive, now watch this, the help 
of, in order to receive the help of the second helper, we've got to trust and receive the help of the first helper. So John says, for example, in John 1, 12 to 13, he says right out of the gate, but to all who receive him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This right to become God's children, the right to be restored to relationship and fellowship with God comes by faith, by faith, that receives Christ's perfect life and death in the place of sinners as a ransom, as a payment for their sin. So Christ comes, he makes himself our helper by coming here, by making himself our savior and by giving himself for us. That's why again, John says in his first epistle, 1 John 2, he actually calls Jesus the, 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 the same helper or paraclete that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in John 14. In John, 1 John 2, the apostle John says in verses one and two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if any one of you does sin, we have an advocate, paraclete. We have a helper. We have an ally. We have a friend with the Father. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation, the, the wrath satisfier, the death the debt payer for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So because of his once and for all uh, time work on the cross, believers are saved, but Christ has a present helping work. He has a past helping work in his work on the cross, but he has a present helping work too. After dying for sinners, after being raised to life, after ascending to heaven, Jesus, we're told in Hebrews 7, now intercedes for those who are before his father. And so Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says this, because he, Christ, continues forever, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because of his ongoing intercessory work, the sins of believers are forgiven and their fellowship is kept strong and their prayers are heard. And this is one of the great examples of, of Jesus as our helper. The cross is, is the supreme example, but here's another great example of the way Christ continues to help his people. How many of you who are believers have ever wondered, maybe in the silence of, of your own prayer time, or, or in, in uh, the aftermath of sin, how many of you have ever wondered, will he hear this prayer because this is the hundredth time I've prayed and asked forgiveness for this thing? How many of you have ever, you just, have you ever done that? Have you ever had that? You know, when will enough be enough? When will he say, I'm, I, you know what? You told me just three days ago, you would never do this again. You told me just three days ago you were sorry, how sorry you were, and, and you repented. And, and here it is three days later. Have you ever wondered, will he ever just finally say, I'm done? Will Jesus ever be tired of saying, Lord, I'm sorry, there she is, she's done it again. How much of me can the Father take? How long before he grows weary of my sin and my failure? How many times will I get by with, Lord, I've done it again? Oh, I have a good word for you and for me. When, when believers sin, the scripture says, Jesus, the helper, is still active. And when, he, when we sin and we confess that sin, uh, he acts as our defense attorney. 
in the Father's court of justice. And he, when he comes to the Lord, to the Father, he doesn't beg for mercy. He actually asks for judgment or justice. He actually asks for justice. He makes a case for sinning believers based on God's law and based on his cross. Jesus, the advocate helper, says, Father, your law declares the wages of sin to be death and it demands payment. But here's the reality. I went to the cross. I paid that penalty. This one has believed in me. And so my payment for them is good. And Father, you know it would be wrong to demand payment twice. So I'm asking not for your mercy in her case. I'm asking for your justice. And I know and you know there can be no condemnation for those who are in me because of the debt, even for this, the hundredth time, has already been paid. This is the work of the first helper. So there is a cross and there is a continuous intercession. This, this is so very important for us to see. The gift of this helper is asking for and sending from the Father, the Holy Spirit, this second helper, who works in believers to grow them in holiness and grow them in righteousness and the Holy Spirit and his helping ministry then is a gift of the Father, though, and this is important, only to those who have first received the helping gift of his Son. There is no eternally extraordinary life with, with, with the help of the Spirit without the, 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 the work, the helper, Jesus on the cross. Secondly, I want you to see with me that to experience the ministry and, uh, uh, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we've got to receive that, the gift of the Holy Spirit's ministry, not the Spirit. We've got to receive the gift of his ministry. Not only must we first believe and receive the help of the first helper, we have to go on to do what non-believers and the world cannot do, as Jesus says in verse 17, and that is to actively receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the second helper. This is how believers make the most of that ministry. I can't spend a great deal of time here, but in order to make the most of his ministry, believers have to be, first of all, be aware and be awake to his presence in them. Now, I think this is perhaps one of our greatest challenges. Uh, who was it? Wordsworth, the, the English poet, said the world is too much with us. And we can be so focused on the problems of the moment, of the challenges of the moment, that we miss the reality that the living God is actually with us and in us. And we can walk through situations and difficulties and never give a thought to the fact that he is with us. And what happens as a consequence of that is we fall into the default position of trying to fix things for ourselves, of trying to fix situations for ourselves. And we never call on the name of the Lord. We never cry out to him and say, Lord, help me simply because we lack the awareness of the reality of his presence with us. You know that you're making good progress in your faith when as you're walking through difficult times, you find yourself almost immediately turning to him in prayer. And, 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 and the prayer may be as simple as help me. It may be as simple as give me wisdom. It may be as simple as give me strength. 
but you know you're making an advance in your relationship and you're, you're growing in your relationship when you're walking with this awareness that the triune God is with you, represented in you by the Spirit of God. Believers, to make the most of his ministry, have to be aware, and, and I like to say awake, to his presence in them. But secondly, they need to be aware of what his ministry is and what his ministry involves. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the work of this helper is described further. He's the one whose work involves giving new life, empowering us for life and service, giving us assurance, glorifying and constantly pointing us to Christ, illuminating the Bible as we talked about last week, guiding us and directing us, purifying us from sin, convicting us as a part of that purification, teaching us and then unifying us and keeping us together as God's people. That is all his work in our lives. And we have to be aware that that's what he's about. Sometimes God is working and we don't see him because we're looking in the wrong places for him to work. Believers, thirdly, have to be ready to cooperate with him in his work. And this is perhaps uh, uh, of great, great need. In his closing instructions to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul stresses the believer's responsibility for receiving with openness the Holy Spirit's ministry. And he does it with this simple command. He says, don't quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In the original text, the verb for quench conveys a picture of suppressing fire or stifling a flame and presents the Holy Spirit as being like a fire dwelling in each believer. And so when Paul writes, don't quench the Holy Spirit, he's cautioning Christians not to suppress the fire of God's Spirit that burns within them. It's similar to, to reminders that he gives to Timothy in, in, in First and Second Timothy. He says to Timothy in Second Timothy, keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you. And he says in First Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift you received because fire in the Bible is often used to represent God-given uh, zeal and passion and enthusiasm, God-given power and illumination, God-given purity among God's people. We can say that God's presence in every Christian through the gift of the indwelling spirit is, is actually the means of this fire, the means of this zeal, of this passion, of this enthusiasm. When the things of God don't move my heart, when the, the, when the, when the, when the things of God don't fill me with zeal and passion, when, when I don't long for the things of God, almost inevitably, almost certainly, it is because we have quenched his ministry. We have not received his ministry. We have not depended upon him for power. We have not sought him to help us with purity. We have not uh, yielded to his work of convicting us of sin, those kinds of things. So while he's a member of the Trinity and God himself, and while the Holy Spirit can't be snuffed out, he can be quenched or stifled when believers individually or as local churches resist his work in their lives personally and in the church corporately. All over, let me just pause and say this, all over our nation, churches are dying. They are literally dying. And uh, most of you will know that I coach pastors in North Carolina and we have a different class every year at Tar Heel Leadership. And, and some of the most encouraging 
stories come out of that coaching and some of the most discouraging stories come out of that coaching. But a frequent story coming out of the coaching is of churches that have essentially and often literally said no to God and his word and have thus quenched the spirit because they simply refuse to do what the word says. I don't care what the Bible says. That's not in our constitution and bylaws. That's not an uncommon thing. That is not an uncommon thing. I am so grateful, I am so thankful that in 2006 and in the years that followed, there was a group of people here who were willing to look around and ask the question, where are our kids? Where are our grandkids? Where are our great-grandkids? Why are they not here? And they walked, have walked through years of changes for the sake of the gospel. And as a consequence of that, I am glad to say that the body of Christ here chose not to quench the spirit, but chose to say yes to the gospel and yes to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and the children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren of others. And I am so thankful for that because as soon as a church or an individual says no to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the power of God ends. The peace of God ends. Purity goes away and he can no longer use us, and the only work he can do in us is that of conviction and discipline. In order to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it becomes so very important to receive and accept and cooperate with that ministry. We will only experience the ministry and presence of the Spirit when we heed and cooperate with him in his work. The gift of his presence has already been given, but we have to welcome his work. And so I want to ask you the question, do you know the Spirit of God? And do you regularly, habitually welcome his work in you. Finally, to experience the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we must use the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. And I, I ask you to notice with me that throughout this passage in verse 15, verse 21, and verse 23, Jesus stresses obedience. And he says, if you obey me, uh, then I know you love me. If you obey me, I will be real to you. If you obey me, I will come to you. And all of this seems odd in a way that he says this. Why? Well, obedience is proof of love. It is proof of trust in Christ. And those who love Jesus will obey him. But it's also possible to have trusted in Christ, receive the presence of the Holy Spirit, and 
receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit and yet reject that ministry and to do that with sin. And so, for example, James 1 calls on believers to uh, continue to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is why Paul directly cautions believers against grieving the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, 30 to 32, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed and are being kept for the day of redemption when, when Christ comes again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Watch for these things. They're evidence of sin. You're going to grieve the Spirit when there is in you bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, put those things away from you, along with all malice, all hatred. Instead, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted to one another, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Don't grieve the Spirit. If quenching the Spirit's ministry comes from neglecting Him and failing to cooperate with Him, grieving the Spirit comes by choosing to disobey Christ and his word, choosing to sin or choosing stubbornly to stay in sin. This command not to grieve the spirit is part of Paul's overall initial instructions here in, in Ephesians 4, covering what believers must not do as they seek to cultivate holiness and walk in purity. The Greek word translated grieve here means to cause to feel sorrow, pain, unhappiness or distress. And as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has a personality. He has the ability to feel the emotions like joy and outrage and sorrow, the Bible tells us. And sin and stubbornness grieve the Holy Spirit because they show an inappropriate response to Christ's cross. I mean, the Part of the work of the Holy Spirit, of course, is to be always pointing to Jesus and always pointing to the cross, constantly reminding us of, of the cross. And when we, when we sin, we're basically um, making, uh, displaying a kind of ingratitude for what Christ has done. When we stay in our sin, when we stay stubborn in our sin, when the Spirit of God has come and he's come with conviction and he's pointed something out to us and we haven't corrected it and we have excused it and we justified it and, and tried to explain it away, whenever that happens, whenever there is that kind of stubbornness, we're actually cheapening the cross. So we're ungrateful for it and we cheapen it. And it breaks the heart of God. For his son has done so much for us. And he gave up so much for us. That.
it's all, of course always a fallacy that the cross is a you know get a get away with sin free card. But very very often we treat it as that we come very accustomed to confessing our sin, naming it, and just kind of shoving it around or or, or making less of it. And it deeply hinders our walk with God. There is no such thing as cheap sin. And that's what the cross reminds us of. Am I right? I mean, there's, there's no such thing as a cheap sin. And at the end of the day, uh, there, there's no such thing as free sin. It's incredibly costly. And part of what the New Testament warns us against is living without gratitude for the cross and living with stubbornness in light of the cross. And grieving the very heart of the God, of, of, of the God who loves us and loved us with an infinite love. So, refusing to fully receive the ministry of the Spirit and quenching His work and practicing willful sin and stubbornness and grieving His heart with cheap confession, without repentance, or with, uh, without any confession at all, both negatively impact the believer, the church, and the world. Quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit keep us from living a godly lifestyle. It affects the way that we live in our homes, the way we relate to our spouses and our children. It affects the way we relate to our neighbors. It, it, it affects uh, the way in which we relate to lost people, the way we see lost people. And it relates the way, it impacts the way we actually relate to ourselves as well. In any given situation or season of life, um, the only correct road to follow is the one that leads the believer closer to God and closer to purity and farther away from uh, the world and from sin. And it is the Holy Spirit's work. Another one of his uh, actions is to be a, a leader and a guide to us in those situations and seasons. And he will always be pointing us to Christ, always leading us closer to himself, always leading us to purity, always leading us farther away from sin. And in the same way that you and I don't like to be grieved, and just as we don't seek to quench what is good that is in our lives, we shouldn't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit by refusing to follow his leading. So to experience the full ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have to walk in the way of practical surrender to, the, to his ministry and, and, and walk in the way of practical surrender to obedience to Christ. And in the final analysis, the way to fully experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, his, his ministry of purity, his ministry of leadership, his ministry of guidance, 
um, his ministry of, of, of pointing us to Christ, his, his ministry of helping us is to refuse to live thinking about ourselves first and pleasing and asserting and indulging ourselves like the rest of the world habitually does, but instead living, serving Christ's cause so that it advances in the lives of others. You know you're heading on the right track when you're living your life in such a way as to say, this very day, in this very encounter, I want to leave that person better for the sake of Christ. I want to find a way to point them to him. I want to give them a savor. I want to give them a flavor of the love of Jesus. Because in every situation, in every circumstance, it is not about me. It is always about helping them find him. Helping them see him. When we live that way, then we experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we will know and experience the glory and the joy, the peace and the strength of having the Holy Spirit as our advocate and our ally. So I, I want to, to, to end our, our kind of time soaking in this passage by asking you some questions. First of all, if you're a believer, have you, have you thought this through? Do you really know this one who has come into your life? Or is he to you an acquaintance at best and a, and a mystery at, at worst? Have you been changed by this truth that the Spirit of God lives in you? Are you being changed by the privilege of having the God of the universe not merely above you and not merely around you, but inside you? Do you feel the responsibility that everywhere you go, he is? Do you live differently because you know he's right there? Someone infinitely worthy of your honor, your trust, your respect. Do you live out your days focused on the fact of his holy presence? That you have someone who knows all you do, someone who knows all you think, someone who knows all you say, someone who knows the why behind your every what. This is the reason Peter says in 2 Peter 1, it reminds his, his readers we've been made partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit is a person. He dwells in us. And as a consequence of that, we have a share now in his character. We have a share now in his holiness. And if we live unaware of his personal presence, if we live neglecting or ignoring him, we can quench his ministry. We will sin and we will grieve him because he is always present in us and he is ever holy. Have you thought this through? Is that truth changing your life? There is more, and I can't leave you without saying this. When the Holy Spirit comes to us to be in us, 
as we come to faith in Jesus. We also find that because we have God's very presence, there is no wound in us so deep, no brokenness so great that it can't be healed. There's no habit so ingrained that it cannot be broken. And so believer, I I want to end this section by asking you, do you know what you have with the living presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what you've been given? How great this gift of God is to you. At the end of it all, I think we can say Jesus tells his people that there are two things that they, uh, in this life, that they are sure to have and experience. First of all, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Then he says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But he also says, in this world you will have not just trouble, but you will have great opportunity. You'll have the opportunity, he says in John 14, to do what I have done. You will have the opportunity to do even greater things than I have done. And that in the midst of your trouble and in the midst of your opportunities, Jesus says, I have for you joy my joy and the great secret to seizing your opportunities with whatever of life you have left and the great secret to overcoming whatever trouble you're facing now or will face in the future. The, The great secret to seizing opportunities, overcoming trouble and keeping his joy fresh and alive It's found right here in John 14, where Jesus says, I want you to know I will not leave you as orphans. You will never walk alone. You will never be by yourself. If you are mine, I am with you. Now I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And that helper will be the spirit of truth, and he will be with you forever. Do you know what you have? Do you know who he is? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us all good things to enjoy, the least of which is not himself. Let's stand together all across the room. Hmm. Some of you have resonated with this message because you're one of those that the Lord has come to again and again and again about something in your life something in your life.
and he comes again to you today. He comes again to you today. And he asks you to be done with that thing. Will you be done with it? Will you confess it? Will you own it and end the justification? And will you say today, I believe the Spirit of God in me is stronger than this sin? Will you say afresh, and I don't care if it's a thousand and first time, will you say it afresh, Lord God, in this struggle, I'm going to depend on you. Some of you here today, here's the reality. God has shown you a kingdom opportunity. God has shown you a kingdom opportunity. And he said, I want you to take this step. He said to you, I want you to serve me in this particular way. I want you to take this particular step. Some of you, he, he has called you and prompted you uh, to find and, and, and be involved in, in, in a deeper way than prayer and giving in, in international missions. And he's called you and he's called you and you've called you and you've always said, no, I can't, I can't, not now. Kids are too young. Now the kids are too big. Now the kids are too much trouble. It's always something. And you just said no and you've said no and but God has reached out and he's called you and he's gifted you to, to, to teach or to lead or to help. And, and he's called you to find a place to plug into the body of Christ. And you just said no. And you said no. And you said no. I won't. And I won't. And I won't. Some of you, you're facing a worry. And he said to you again and again, trust me with this, trust me with this, trust me with this. And you, you've found him to be too small to trust with this worry. And he comes again today, the Spirit of God says, trust me in this, I'm at work in you, I'm at work around you. Will you trust me in this? Will you trust me in this? And today you need to come and say, I trust you. your peace. I trust you. And this is the day. This is the time. You, you see, you say, I see what I have. I see the presence of God. I see the Spirit of God in me. I see. Yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will serve. Yes, Lord. I will trust you. Yes, Lord, I will confess. Yes. So I want to create an opportunity for us today as we end this series. For you to say yes. For you to say yes in that area. For you to say yes. We saw God work and move uh, last Sunday, particularly in the second service. I was so grateful for that. 
But I have a sense that he's, he's doing a work in us and he's calling us in a very fresh way to say yes to him as a church and as individuals. And so I, I, I want to just open up the altar again and say, All of you that he's spoken to this morning and he's been speaking to over these past several weeks, wherever that is, wherever God's been calling you and, and, and prompting you, I want to challenge you. I want to appeal to you. See who you have in you. And step out from wherever you are and come. Kneel down. If you can't kneel, come and sit. does not matter, but come and say yes to him. Yes, you're right about my sin. Yes, you're right about that call, and I will act. Yes, you're right about the worry. Yes, I will trust you. I invite you to come. I invite the praise team to come. And I invite you to come. The altar is open. Come with your yes. Come with your yes. Father God, we give you this time move among your people for Jesus name Amen Thanks for joining me today If you enjoy these podcasts take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life